0: Luke 2 John 19 and Philippians chapter 2 I'm thankful for the four guys that came yesterday and helped out with that uh, little project that would have taken me a long time to do got it done yesterday thankful for for those that came Will you bow your head with me as we ask God's help on this part? Our Father in heaven, we've been blessed once again with your presence. Thankful, Lord, for the time of worship. Our heart is stirred. Our heart is moved on by your presence. The re- realization of how much you love us. How much you care. Thank you for that love and care. Thank you for the word of God that you've given to us. And now as we look into that word, I pray that you would speak it to us. Speak through me this morning the words that you would have to be said. Giving that anointing that is needed both to the messenger as well as to the hearer. Father, once again, I need your help. I need your strength. Unable to do it on my own. I need your special anointing. It's in Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. I took Natalie down to the slime factory this week, this past week, one day. I'm not a kid. I don't see exactly why the slime factory is of such interest. But watching her as she watched the other kids that were there and, and listening to the instructor, they made their slimes. They had ingredients. Now yesterday, she was outside with some guys, some young boys, and they were making something other, something else that was kind of slimy, only it was just dirt and water. They didn't need any instructions. They have a knack for that kind of thing. They tell me that they're making mud pies or mud cakes. One time I went to my four-wheeler and I found mud cakes on the fender of the four-wheeler. I knew exactly who had been there. But they were making these slimes, and they, and they had to they, they had to put in the ingredients, glue, shaving cream, a special special something or other liquid, and they mix it all up, and they mix it all up, and they mix it all up, and then they pull it out at some point, begin to work it with their hands. There's a recipe that goes on with that kind of thing. Um, last Sunday, a young little, another little girl gave us some uh, some cupcakes. And, uh, little Becca up front here had to follow some res- a recipe of some sort, and I'm sure that Mama had a had a hand in there somewhere. But you know, making making cupcakes, there's a recipe for it. This morning I want to look at what I was going to preach last Sunday morning. just felt like the Lord continued to press it on me for this morning. The divine order, the divine order as Christ's life, as a pattern for us, as a recipe for us. He gives us that divine order. He gives us that pattern for us to follow as a disciple of Christ. It really shouldn't surprise us when we read the entirety of Scripture and understand the context that is taking place. We really shouldn't be surprised, although we are really when we stop and look at it. We are surprised at the beginning of Christ's earthly life. We find the early part of Christ's life or the beginning of Christ's earthly life is found there in Luke chapter 2. Verse number 12, it tells us, And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Somebody said, I don't know who it was, but it's a good thing to to keep in mind that lowliness is often a true sign of real greatness. Greatness. Lowliness, another word for humility. Jesus was born in a, in, a, in a stable. He was laid and placed in a manger. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. There's really not much lower of a picture that you could see of this newborn king than what we find in that particular verse of the beginning of the life of Jesus Christ on earth. So often when we talk about humility, somebody uh, uh, pretty much will, will paint a picture of a child, and, and a child in its simplistic, in, in its simplistic form, and, and its mental capacity, and, and it's, just, it's simple trust. Now I realize that that breaks down in certain, in certain contexts, in certain situations, but those are the unfortunate times, and they are really rare in comparison to all of those other ones. There is a trust that is a natural in the heart of a, of a child, trusting those uh, that are caring for them. Trust, a simple trust. There's something about that simplicity and that lowliness, or, or you could even say the humility of a child, especially when you look at what Matthew, what, what Matthew records of, of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, unless you become Unless you become as a little child or as little children... See, suggesting there that we must have that same beginning life, even as Jesus had of the lowliness of the birth of Christ, should be found within our own lives in order for us to experience His salvation. We must bring ourselves and place ourselves at the feet of Calvary, at the foot of Calvary, at the feet of Christ. Even as a little child, unless you become as a little child, you shall not... Now, I know that John Newton lived a long time ago he's He's, he's way past us in in uh, in years here uh, back in the eighteenth century is when he lived the majority of his life uh, and so it's a, a number of years prior to us and so we we lose the context or or we may even lose the contrast of his life but but John Newton expresses it in his own words of how how much of a of rebellion continuous rebellion and t- continuous debauchery that he lived in. We may not understand the fullness of that even if we try to to study the slave trade and the capturing and the selling and the transporting of the individuals that that he did in that slave trade and how cruel and vicious of a life that it was. But somewhere along the line he came in contact with the book uh, that was written by a man 400 years approximately before him uh, and and began to read the imitation of Christ and and the light of heaven began to shine into his soul to the point where he finally humbled himself and yielded his life to Jesus Christ to where he could pen the words amazing grace. There's a key element in that song that we can easily gloss over as we sing it because we're we're caught up in, in how amazing His grace is to us. But John Newton recognized it when he penned the words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I realized that he was in the depths of sin, the darkest of sin, and yet we also have to understand that sin is sin no matter where it is, no matter what it looks like, no matter how it's colored, sin is still sin. And when we look at the sin that you and I, that we have been guilty of prior to salvation, we have to come to the same kind of conclusion that John Newton did when he said, a wretch like me. Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10 tell a story of a of an individual who came to Christ wanting to, to be a disciple and yet when, when Jesus laid out their criteria, when he gave to him the, the reality of what it would be to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, the, the man that we have come to know as the rich young ruler went away simply because he was not willing to humble himself and yield himself and all that he had in his possessions to the hand of Christ and he went away sorrowful he went away sorrowful there's an old testament story found in in second kings chapter number five and if if this man uh, in the early part of that story were to understand that in our day we would look at him by the same kind of, or by this uh, by this title he would be he would be angry he would be furious because he was an important person and did not want to be considered Naaman the leper You say, well, how do you know that? I know that because as the story unfolds, he did not want to go down to the dirty river. He did not want to go to that particular place. He wanted to go to one of his clean rivers to do what the prophet said he needed to do to be cleansed. There was a pride. There was an ego. There was something there in his life that that represented exactly what Jesus is talking about must be done away with in order for a person to come to salvation. Come to Christ. Humble themselves. Somebody talked him into it even though he had to do it seven times dipping into that dirty, dirty river. He came up clean. We don't have to take very long to go from the manger to see another great point of, of Jesus' life. No, it's not when he was in the temple talking to the, to the, the religious rulers and debating with the doctors uh, of the law and the doctors of religion and all of that stuff. No, that wasn't really the point that we need to, to consider in this this morning. Nor was it the time when He made the water into wine at that first, uh, uh, that first marriage, or that marriage, uh, that first uh, uh, miracle that He, that he gave. And, and, and what a profound time that was, a wonderful time that surely must have been. But we go even further than that and we come to the place of the cross. We see in the beginning of Christ the the necessity of humility. We see in the end of Christ's earthly life the necessity of the cross. Now, the cross represents for most of us, as we think about the cross, it represents for most of us the Christian's life. We don't have to talk very long before we'll come to an understanding among us that the Christian life, stay with me, The Christian life is one of hardship and difficulty and opposition and even sometimes persecution. And we'll find it in Scripture that if a person lives godly in this present life, there will be persecution. Now, if you're like me, and the chances are that you are in this particular area, we shy away. We don't want, we don't stand in line and say, pick me when it comes to persecution. There's not a one of us here that says, yes, I want to be persecuted. You see, we think about those things as, as a part of the cross, that there's a struggle, there's a conflict. The cross represents a death. Sometimes in Scripture we see about the agricultural side of the seed and the growing process, and if that seed does not fall into the ground and die, it does not produce, it does not not bring about a sprout that can bring about a harvest. There's a cross that needs to be carried. There's a cross that must be that must be involved with a person's life if they are going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's brought out in the in the life uh, uh, sequences of a butterfly, and if you help that butterfly out of the cocoon, chances are you have destroyed its life. And it's been said. I haven't tried it for myself, uh, but if you help a chick that is trying to get it make its way out of the egg, you're you're hind- its growth because it needs that that force, it needs that effort, it needs that hardship in order for it to succeed in life. We find the cross. It might stand in your life this morning, the cross of Jesus Christ might stand in your life this morning as the do's and the don'ts of a Christian life. I don't really know how you want to picture it this morning. I don't know what kind of a painting you want to paint in your own mind in relationship or in regards to the cross. But we find the cross as a very vital part of the life of Jesus Christ. Born in humility, died in humility. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 38... He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. What about that cross? Let's review it quickly before we go on. John's Gospel chapter 19, then delivered he him in verse number 16, therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst." That sounds gruesome. And it is gruesome. It is horrible. But Jesus is telling us that if we are going to be his disciple that we must carry a cross. We must take up his cross. We must in order to follow him. If we do not follow him by taking up the cross, he simply says it plain and simple in Matthew 8 or in 10:38, he is not worthy of me. If we seek to find our own life, then we will lose it. The only way that we can find our life is to find it in Him. Thomas Shepard penned the words to a song, Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. It's not all about hardship though. That cross that He asks us to bear is not just something that He presses upon us so that we can have that same kind of of an anguish of soul or that same kind of a trouble and hardship in life. No, that's not exactly all that there is to it because Jesus also tells us in Matthew chapter 19, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. (laughs) If there's anything that we need, that this world needs, they need to understand that the reality Even though that there is a cross to carry, that Jesus is offering to carry it for us. And in the midst of carrying that cross with Him, we find rest for our souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thomas Shepard goes on, How happy are the saints above who once went sorrowing here, but now they taste unmingled love and joy without a tear. The consecrated cross I'll bear till death shall set me free, and then go home my crown to wear, for there's a crown for me. What a transition! Going from the cross to the crown, yes, we can actually see that in the life of Jesus Christ. Humility in the manger, humility at the cross. But then we find that there is a crown that awaits those that carry that cross with Him. Philippians 2, verse number 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. A crown. What does that mean? What is this crown that he's speaking about? First of all, we can realize that this crown that he's speaking about is the fullness of life here fullness of life here somebody said he who walks humbly and bears his cross with patience and submission finds the fullness of life in the present tense in the present tense true freedom true freedom comes or consists not in doing as what or what one likes but in refusing to do what enslaves The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 4 said, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son. You know what the rest of that verse says? He takes it to the highest level of sonship. Born into the family, brought into the family, adopted into the family, however you want to look at it, being born again brings us into a relationship with God, into a relationship with Christ where the Apostle Paul looks at it and compares it and he shares with us, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. An inheritance awaits. Not a slave to sin. If somebody calls themselves a sinner, not a was a sinner, but a present tense sinner, does that mean that they are enslaved still by sin? Well, if a person is still sinning on a regular basis, hand in hand with sin, then the chances are pretty high that they are a sinner. And as a sinner, they are enslaved by sin. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Free. Free from The penalty of sin. Free from the price of sin. Free from the power of sin. The bondage of sin. And as we are free from sin, we have a change in our want-tos. Now, some people have a hard time to get a hold of that, but I don't want to do some things. I do want to do some things. That want-to is changed I want to please Him. I want to share in Him. So if there's ever something that comes up that displeases Him, then my want to says, uh, I want Him before I want this other. More than I want this other. I'm willing to give that up in order to have His smile. I want Him. I can do what I want, I can go where I want, I can live like I want because my want to's have changed its focus to where I want to serve Him, I want to be pleasing to Him. Do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Oh, I love to walk with Jesus all the way to Calvary's brow. Gaze upon that scene of suffering while my tears forever flow. Or tears of sorrow flow, excuse me. There he tells me that he loves me, takes my every sin away. So I'll follow him so gladly. Lead me anywhere he may. Did you hear what the songwriter said? I'll follow Him gladly. Verse number four of that song, Oh, sometime I'll walk with Jesus in the land of endless day when our journey here is over. We've reached our home to stay. Then I'll walk with Him forever. Sing His praises o'er and o'er with all the saints in glory, love and worship and adore. It's not only just a present tense tense, uh, situation, but it's an eternal life hereafter situation. For if we suffer, we shall also reign with Him, Paul tells Timothy. Now we can't, we, we can't really conceive in our mind all that this would imply to us. Maybe the words bliss and unspeakable uh, joy, unending joy, and, and all of those great uh, definitions or, or descriptive words of, of euphoria that, is, uh, that, that we can't even begin to describe, that higher and perfect service. We, wonder, we understand it in words like this, every tear will be wiped away have you had any tears maybe you haven't shed those water droplets from your eyes but your heart has has cried this week every tear will be wiped away every pain will cease sin will be gone sorrow will be gone I will follow where He leadeth. I will pasture where He feedeth. I will follow all the way, Lord. I will follow Jesus every day. What does that mean? It means that we follow Him in the manger scene. We we follow Him in the cross scene. We receive with Him in the crown scene. He is the pattern. He is the divine order. He gives us the recipe, come to him as a child, live for him carrying the cross, and there's unspeakable joy in this life, but in the life hereafter as well. The crown awaits for those that follow. Let's stand together this morning. The manger, the cross, the crown. If we want to be a recipient of the crown, let's follow him in humility as a child, carrying the cross that he's given us, anticipating the glory of the crown. Praise God this morning. Praise God this morning. I trust you have a good day. Thank you for your attendance and attention this morning. Trusting God to help us tonight as well. Praise His name. Amen Kimberly, would you dismiss us in prayer?